Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to my podcast, Layers in Media. I am your host, Aisha Sala. Boy, has this world changed since we last spoke. Wow. My last podcast episode was released on Valentine's Day, February 14th, and holy jeez, has everything changed since then. Okay, I'm going to give you guys just a little insight into what's happening in my world, and I'm going to make an argument for how I legitimately believe the universe is working against me with all of these changes. 2020 came around and everybody was super optimistic uh, at the new year. They were like, oh yeah, this is this, this decade is going to change everything. I'm going to become my best, my best self. Honestly, I was not participating in the optimism. I was really just looking at it like any other day. Didn't have any New Year's resolutions. That's not really my style. Um, And then get a little uh, into 2020 and um, Kobe Bryant dies along with his daughter. And all of a sudden the world is shook. And for me, someone who has no interest in sports, doesn't really have any knowledge of Kobe Bryant's accomplishments in basketball, I was affected. And that's saying a lot. Like I saw what happened and, you know, seeing how young he was and how young his daughter was. And that was a changing point for me in 2020. I was like, look, man, I need to start living uh, like a braver life. I need to be more brave with what I what I do. I have to take more action in my life rather than just having life happen to me. This was when I really just started making resolutions for myself. I was like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm going to travel. I'm going to see the world more. I'm going to I'm going to like start really delving into my passions and and making them come to life like this this was a, a turning point and definitely a game changer obviously it's a tragic thing to become a game changer but honestly it was eye opening for me and then my my beautiful lovely wonderful intelligent cousin uh, who is currently teaching in a school in Ecuador invited me to go visit her and i was like oh my god the universe listened and the universe is encouraging me to become my better, more courageous self. So I was like, oh my God, this is so going to happen. I started looking up tickets. I started planning dates. I started thinking, okay, this is the time that I can take off of work in order to go visit. I started um, planning planning on like, you know, the budget. I, plan- I started saving money and everything like that. And I I thought it was seriously going to happen. It was going to be my first time traveling abroad. And I was like, oh, my God, this is this is scary, but exciting because this is exactly what I wanted. Um, Two weeks into the planning process, COVID-19 decides to shut down the entire world. And it's not that I'm just no longer allowed to travel abroad. Um, my gym closed down, so I'm not going to the gym. And work is officially on hold, so I'm no longer going to work. I, like the universe, heard that I wanted to travel the world. And all of a sudden, the universe was like, mm, she's not even going to travel travel four minutes to go to the gym or five minutes to get to work. She is officially on lockdown. And honestly, I'm taking it personally. I, oof, like this is, this is, I, I'm livid. I am angry AF. Yeah, that is where I'm at. So 
can you guys like understand where I'm coming from when I legitimately believe that the universe is working against me at this point? Good. That's awesome. We're on the same page. Love that. And I was also struggling with uh, what to decide on as an episode for March. I was really leaning towards doing a podcast episode on Parasite just because of how big it won at the Oscars. And you know, I saw the movie and it was just this incredible journey and it was just like a masterpiece of filmmaking. And I was like, oh yeah, I could do this. But then all of these things started changing and quarantine started becoming a more serious part of our everyday life and, you know, social distancing and people staying inside and people being legitimately scared of the symptoms of um, the coronavirus. And I just couldn't bring myself to delve into the emotional devastations of Parasite. I I tried. I really did. And I was just like, look, just the way that movie ends and the journey it takes to get there is so rough. I really could not put myself in that zone. So I actually decided on a much lesser known film that should be more well known just because of how amazing it is. It's a film titled How I Live Now. It is directed by Kevin McDonald. It is starring Saoirse Ronan, uh, Tom Holland, and George McKay. All big players in the film industry, but they really kind of brought their names to this smaller independent British film for the year 2013, which is like three years before Tom Holland becomes Spider-Man. And, you know, a good long while before George McKay goes on to be the main star in the movie 1917, which he did amazing in. Yeah. So the movie How I Live Now, uh, I chose specifically because it is a bit darker in the sense that it does have these apocalyptic elements to it. Um, we are just a little bit in the future and World War Three has started and these teenagers and ki- children have to survive the uh, the effects of World War Three affecting their country. Even though that sounds dark and emotionally devastating, which it is, the thing about this movie is it is magical. Like, It's so beautifully done and it truly leaves you with a sense of hope and, uh, you know, this um, kind of reminder that no matter how devastating a situation can become, there is a way to survive it and grow from it and become better because of it. And that's why I chose this film. I think everybody is a little bit scared right now. Everybody is a little bit cautious and doesn't really know how to take on all of the sudden changes that are happening in each other's lives. This film kind of takes that, but still allows us to have some positive feelings after going through it. So definitely my choice for March, How I Live Now, highly recommend. And I hope you like the podcast. I'm not even going to be doing it the same way I uh, did previous episodes. Like for Joker and for V for Vendetta, I separated it into segments of like, you know, epic moments and gut punches. And for like the more romantic comedies that I focused on in the later months, uh, I 
separated it in, you know, comedic moments and, you know, most romantic moments and stuff like that. I'm not really going to be separating this podcast into sections just because I couldn't really do that for this film. This film isn't really an epic drama. It doesn't really have these gigantic sequences or moments of high action um, cinema or whatever, like, or anything like that. It's a very slow, beautiful exploration of character. And I absolutely love the character development for the main character, Daisy. I think watching how she starts as this super obviously flawed human being and the way she grows to become this like protector and nurturer in this changed environment is one of my favorite character developments I have ever seen. And then the combination of it being both like magical in its cinematography and it's in its choices and apocalyptic in like the cracks that are starting to seep through these children's like magical idyllic experience is really what makes the movie just deliver a whole package in terms of like a worthy cinematic experience. So just wanted to start off. Uh, the director, Kevin McDonald, is mostly like I know him mainly from him directing The Last King of Scotland, um, starring James McAvoy. Uh, it, yeah, yeah, that was a rough one, um, but definitely shows Kevin McDonald's um, range in terms of his directing abilities and, you know, obviously being able to, to deliver a crazy cinematic experience. Um, the main stars, uh, Saoirse Ronan, who you would know from Atonement or Brooklyn or The Lovely Bones, Mary Queen of Scots, I Could Never Be Your Woman. She is just amazing in the amount of di diverse roles she's taken. She's my age. She was born in 1994. She's 25 years old. And the amount that she has accomplished with her career is amazing. I wish more people knew about this film of hers, How I Live Now, because she delivers an excellent performance. Another uh, star in the film is is Tom Holland. We're dealing with a super young Tom Holland. You know him from the movie The Impossible about the family coming together after surviving the tsunami. And of course, as Spider-Man in the Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe. And uh, the third person who is one of the main characters in the film is George McKay. You would know him as Bodevin from Captain Fantastic or 1917, which had a whole bunch of nominations this past um Oscar season. He takes on really interesting roles and he has such an interesting role in this film. Uh, I love watching his acting. I think he has such a powerful, he has a powerful control over his expressions and how he delivers emotions as a character. He's uh, definitely a more quiet actor. Even in this particular role, he doesn't have many lines, but his presence and his emotional delivery is just stunning and it makes me want to watch as much as possible with him. So that is your cast. Just to introduce you to our character, Saoirse Ronan is playing an American teenage girl known as Daisy. This is one of my favorite portrayals of an American teenage girl. Usually... I find that, at least in film, whenever writers go on to portray or develop American teenage girls, the characters end up being, you know, exaggerated 
and one dimensional and really disappointing as a character, you know, in the grand scheme of the story that's being delivered. I usually don't like how simplified teenagers are shown to be in film. What I love about this particular film is Saoirse Ronan, an Irish actress, so I understand the irony of this, is playing this American teenage girl. But even though she starts off as this kind of crass, hostile, you know, major attitude kind of American teenager, she is delivering all of the flaws of this character, but she's also, because she's the main character, she's given a chance to grow and she does and she grows beautifully. And that's what makes her a three-dimensional, very realistic, very human character, which is what I appreciated in this experience. So interesting introduction to this particular character is we are introduced first to her thoughts rather than to her actual face. So the film starts off on just like credits flashing all of the cast and crew and you just hear the thoughts of this main character that we're about to be following and the thoughts are a mixture of negative and um, self-derogatory and almost like they're constantly putting a pressure on this main character's mind to become better and to be the best version of herself and to do it quickly. And, you know, we're talking about a, a teenager's mind. To have all of this just constantly running through your head really shows us the amount of anxiety and pressure that she's living under. So, Eventually, we do get a visual of Daisy and da and we see her walking through the airport. And the interesting thing about her walk through the airport is she's got these headphones on. She's blaring this music that's playing. And we see from the little shots here and there of the airport that we are in a world that is just a little bit more cautious, a little bit more militarized. There's a little bit more security in the airport. We're talking about an airport in England and there are military, you know, soldiers soldiers waiting as security throughout the line. And you're seeing a couple of people at the airport watch the TVs because there has been a major bombing in Paris. You know, you're, so you're getting the sense that like the world is in a super tense, super serious situation. But her being her nonchalant, uncaring teenage self is just listening to this blaring music and just trying to find the person that's supposed to pick her up from the airport after she has arrived from America. So the person that picks her up is Isaac, her cousin. This is our first time we're meeting Isaac, who is played by Tom Holland. He's holding a sign saying Elizabeth and she takes off her headphones and, and she explains to him, oh, you know, by the way, nobody calls me Elizabeth except for my dad and he's an asshole. So if you don't mind, call me Daisy. So immediately we get just like this, this character starts off at 100 immediately. She is got like this next level attitude that is totally unnecessary. She's so hostile. And Isaac, he is literally just welcoming her to England. She's, he's just like, oh, you know, welcome to England. We've been so excited to uh, finally meet you. And the poor kid is not prepared for the amount of American lack of manners that Daisy brings to the table. I, I do like learning um, about this character that she rejects her given name. I think it's interesting that she rejects her official name and demands everyone else does the same because we're starting to feel, we're starting to immediately get a glimpse that she is not satisfied with the life that she was given. 
And her deciding to have everyone call her Daisy is kind of like her little rebellion. We we meet Isaac. Isaac takes her to the car and then uh, they start driving to the country home. And it's so funny. Daisy delivers this line. It's just hilarious. She's like, oh, you know, just so you know, I'm not one of those stupid yanks uh, who's going to kiss your ass the whole time just because you're British. By the way, Isaac did nothing to provoke that line. He literally is just like, oh, you know, you know, how long are you going to stay? We're all so excited to meet you. And she just delivers this line and he's just like, all right, uh, uh, sure. (laughs) It's so so amazing to just see how awful and crash she is. And he just has to deal with it, even though he's this young kid who's trying to welcome her and trying to make her feel comfortable. And she is not having it. All right. We officially arrive at the country uh, home that they're staying in that she's visiting, and we meet our another one of our main characters, Edmund or Eddie, played by the wonderful George McKay. Immediately, as soon as she gets out of the car to get to the house, she gets attacked by these dogs, and she gets shoved to the ground. And Eddie has to come and get the dogs away from her and help her up. Interesting detail that is written into Eddie's character is that he kind of has this supernatural ability to hear the people's thoughts around him. It's it's so amazing the way this is done. So the way you get the hint that Eddie has this ability is he helps Daisy up from the ground after she has fallen. And uh, the camera lingers on his hand uh, grabbing hers. And all of a sudden, the voices in Daisy's head kind of uh, escalate you know she she immediately is just t- thinking about you know need no distractions not needing any distractions and and calling herself a fat bitch and just like all of this negative anxious thought process thought processes that are running through her head and as Eddie is helping her up he has this expression on his face that he kind of like he can hear these thoughts coming from her and he's confused by them like he he doesn't understand why there's so much negative energy is just happening in this head of hers and it's such an interesting decision to make because we are in quite a realistic world. Um, The movie is very realistic in terms of, you know, the characters that they're delivering in terms of the American teenager and these cousins of hers and the world and how it's reacting to an escalating situation that's going to eventually lead to World War Three. But then they decide to add this slight magical quirk. And I absolutely love that decision. I think it works beautifully and it makes Edmund's character just fascinating. And of course, it makes the um, exchange between the characters of Daisy and Edmund super interesting. It's like something that you constantly want to watch and see how it plays out. And then, of course, we meet Piper, uh, who is the youngest of this group. She is the child. And honestly, the best way I can describe Piper in all of her preciousness is she is the child that we want to protect from this dark, changing world. Like she is the sweetest thing. One of the first things that she says as Daisy arrives at her home is, you know, cousin Elizabeth, you want to see my unicorn? And it's just like, I want to see the unicorn. But of course, Daisy is being has this awful attitude and she's like, "Mm, probably not. But we 
um, eventually go through the house and uh, we see what Piper refers to as her unicorn. You know what Piper's unicorn is? It's a baby goat with like a glittery party hat strapped to its head. And I immediately was in love with this child. I was just like, oh my God, I just want to hug her and I want to never let her go. She is going to be essential in terms of how Daisy's character changes over time. That's why I'm I'm focusing on introducing her to you now. She is crucial to this whole experience. Interesting thing to note is there are no adults around. They, the kids keep on referring to, oh, you know, mom's busy or, you know, mom's super important because she's dealing with the government and she's dealing with the crisis that's building up. And she's there, but she's not. Essentially, we get the feeling that the kids are on their own and so is Daisy. So Daisy gets shown to her room and she really just, she's traumatized by the dogs attacking her. She really is uncomfortable in this new environment and these new, and all these people surrounding her. So she gets shown to her room and she kicks Piper out. She's just like, um, I, I need to be alone. And she claims that um, she needs to be alone because her dad is probably trying to reach her from America and she needs to take the call. When she is alone, she checks her phone and she has no missed calls. And that is really all we need in terms of details to understand that Daisy is truly alone. There is no family back in America that really cares about her, is really looking into her well-being. And of course, this new family that she just met does not know her enough to be invested in her well-being. So she is truly alone. And what's interesting is that when she is alone, she gets bombarded with all of the negative thoughts. Really, when you get this particular insight into all of these negative thoughts that she's just constantly cycling through her mind, you realize that her mind is a hellhole. It is one of the most awful places to be. There is no peace to be found there. And I actually really love the sound design for this particular element of the film. It's one of my favorite filmmaking elements that are that is consistently utilized throughout the story. Basically, what they did was they had Saoirse Ronan um, pre-record a whole bunch of these lines. And what the sound designers did was they took these lines and they like escalated the volume depending on the emotional gravity of the situation, or they overlap certain lines to kind of show what she's trying to focus on and how she has all of these rules running through her head. You know, she's constant like, you know, oh, I have to wash my hands. I have to take a pill every morning. I have to drink eight cups of water a day. Oh, you know, you're such a fat bitch. You're so stupid. It's just crazy being in her head and having to endure that chaos. Anyway, we eventually make it to the next morning where we officially have breakfast with the cousins. Daisy really reveals a lot of her character here because um, the cousins basically put out a giant spread of meats and cheese and bread. And, you know, she sits down at the table and she's just like disgusted, absolutely disgusted by everything on the table. She's refusing it all. What she does get eventually is a cup of water and that's her sustenance for breakfast. Um, what's interesting about this breakfast scene is Isaac and Piper and their their friend Joe, they're all sitting at the table, all enjoying it. And Daisy is just such a disturbance of the peace. She keeps on saying, oh, you know, I, I don't do cow cheese or wheat. And Isaac, who's eating a giant slab of cheese in the moment, is just like 
laughs at her and it's just like, why don't you like cow cheese? And she is so negative. She's just like, because it's basically solidified cow mucus. And then she leans forward and she's like, it stays in your gut for like five years. And poor Isaac is just traumatized mid-chewing a giant slab of cheese. It's it's kind of hilarious, but also sad. They're going through this kind of negative experience. And then Edmund walks into the kitchen and grabs a cup of water from the sink. And the interesting thing about Edmund is he still has not said anything. He grabs the cup of water and then he turns and he just stares at Daisy. The more he stares at Daisy, the louder Daisy's thoughts become, like like, like the kind of just rumbling of negative thoughts just escalates. And she gets frustrated with the fact that Edmund is staring at her. And of course, Edmund, because he kind of has this sixth sense where he is able to hear the thoughts of the people around him, is just like he's staring because he doesn't know what to make of this energy that has just walked into his rather peaceful life. And Daisy snaps. She She's just like, oh, you know, stop staring. What's your problem? Of course, nobody else around them knows what's going on or understands where this attitude or this negativity is coming from. It's really only uh, kind of like an emotional disruption that's happening between Eddie and Daisy. And it builds up to the point where they both just leave the kitchen and go to their own separate places because they do not care to be in each other's presence. Okay, um, next scene that delves into the history of Daisy's character or kind of like the quirks of Daisy's character is when we officially meet the aunt, the mother of all the cousins. Daisy wakes up late one night and she hears the aunt um, just on a constant stream of phone calls because you have to understand the aunt is a very important person in the British government and she's constantly getting phone calls because she's dealing with a crisis. And, you know, Daisy enters into her little um, office space. And the first thing we see sprawled across the aunt's desktop is a chart showing estimated statistics on the amount of deaths that are going to happen across Europe due to the start of World War III, um, which is crazy. And the aunt stops the phone calls, even though they constantly keep on coming in and takes a, a few minutes to talk to Daisy because she hasn't done that this entire time. And Daisy's been here for a couple of days already. What's interesting is because of Daisy's kind of demeanor, uh, you know, the aunt says, oh, she's going to fly to Geneva for a couple of days because she needs to handle this crisis. And she's wondering if she should tell Daisy's dad because, you know, she doesn't know she doesn't want him to worry too much. And Daisy tells her, oh, don't even bother. If he cared, I wouldn't be here in the first place. So we we're immediately getting the sense that Daisy is not wanted at home. You know, her dad doesn't care enough to keep her there. Um, He's busy with the new family. The way she says it, like with the kind of snark in her tone, um, makes the aunt laugh. And she says, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not laughing at you. It's just the way you said that really reminded me of Julia. So we officially get introduced to the memory of Daisy's mom which we get by the tone of how they're speaking about her, that she is dead. And what's interesting is, you know, the aunt mentions that the cottage that they're staying at was Daisy's mom's favorite place. And she was staying in the room that Daisy is staying in now. And Daisy has this interesting look on her face. It's like she's shocked by the information because nobody told her that, you know, her dad never talked to her about her mom. She she never met her mom um, because she or she doesn't remember her mom because of how 
early she died. But the face that she makes, and this is really a testament to Saoirse Ronan's incredible delivery as an actress, it's, a f it's an expression of longing. Like, she wasn't expecting to have this connection to her mother that she has always been craving, and all of a sudden she's given this little insight into what her mother's life was like before she died. She's kind of struck by the emotion of it. She she doesn't really know how to handle it. And of course the aunt gets, um, gets busy with more phone calls and she dismisses Daisy saying, oh, you know, everything will be fine. A babysitter will come and look after you. I really need to take this call. And Daisy's officially kicked out of the room and Daisy eventually goes back to her own room and we see her just looking at a picture of her pregnant mother. Uh, we get the sense that this is like one of the only photos that she has of her mother and she's just kind of sitting in this feeling of finally having some sort of connection even though she's been quite disconnected and because of that experience she's been quite hostile to the adults around her. Okay, next scene delving into the journey of Daisy as a character is the walk to the creek. So up until this point, Isaac and Piper, they've really been trying to get her involved. You know, Isaac invites her fishing and Piper wants her to play with her and she's just been rejecting all of these invitations to participate in this beautiful life that they're living in the countryside. On this particular day, when the aunt has officially flown to, Gen to Geneva and it's really just these kids around, Isaac invites her to go swimming at this very special place uh, in the woods. It's like this creek. After rejecting Isaac initially, she does eventually make the decision to go with them. But on the walk to get to the creek, all the kids hop over the fence and they go through a field that's got a herd of cattle just grazing. And Daisy is terrified. She is not willing to go near these animals. Edmund reassures her, you know, the, they're, they're not going to hurt you or anything like that. And she's just like, you know what? It's fine. Um, I'm just going to go back. I didn't really want to go in the first place. Edmund, who really does want her to start enjoying her time here, he does this thing where where he goes to a few of the cattle that are grazing and he whispers in their ear. And it's this beautiful kind of magical moment where he's revealing as a character that he's able to communicate with these animals. And all of a sudden, this entire herd of cattle just start walking away, clearing the field for Daisy to walk through. And Daisy is just baffled. She has no idea how he just accomplished that. But, you know, Edmund just shrugs it off and doesn't really consider it anything special. And then he helps her over the fence. She climbs over the fence, but her finger gets cut on some barbed wire that's attached. She's bleeding and Edmund, and she's just like, she's panicking. She, she doesn't like the feeling. And Edmund immediately just kind of like takes the finger, sucks the blood out and just makes it okay. And we really get the sense that Edmund as a character is just bringing to the story uh, an amazing, calming, healing energy. And he's willing to use that energy to help Daisy. And I think both the supernatural element of being this healing character combined with the fact that he is insistent on using that energy to help her shocks Daisy. Daisy really doesn't know what to make of these actions that he's taking to help her. And she's kind of like silent at this point. She She doesn't really know how to emotionally grasp the situation. We eventually make it to the creek. Daisy 
in character with her beautiful flawed self is sitting on a log watching everyone have the time of their life swimming. These kids really want her to participate and to get involved so they start splashing her with water and she's just like, ugh, do you know how much bacteria lives in river water? Again, just bringing out the negativity of the situation rather than living her life. And uh, Eddie has got this idea so he tells Joe to get Daisy to come to the edge of the creek. So Joe is calling to Daisy and it's like, Daisy, you know, you have to come and see what's um, what's in the water. You're going to miss it. You're going to miss it. And so Daisy goes to the side of the creek because she actually is curious. And she's just like, what are, what are you looking at? I don't see anything. And Eddie climbs out of the river, goes up behind her. And she's like, she's startled because she has no idea what Eddie is planning to do. And, and Eddie says, you know, all these rules, you think you've got to obey them. And Daisy is just like, what are you talking about? And Eddie is just like, all that noise inside your head. So immediately we get confirmation that Eddie is actually able to see to hear all of the noise that's um, constantly making Daisy this anxious negative character. What's interesting with the sound design of this particular moment is because Eddie is acknowledging all of this negative sound in her head, immediately the thoughts escalate and become louder and more violent. And Eddie um, grabs her by the shoulders and falls into the creek with her. And all of a sudden we get this shot where they are both submerged in the water and all of that negative noise in her head is silenced. They resurface and all of a sudden, Daisy, even though she's startled and she's pissed, is actually starting to have fun. And this is really the moment where she starts living, which is an, an amazing turning point for this particular character. Uh, the next scene that is an interesting step in Daisy's journey as a character is a scene where they're all toasting marshmallows. So, in the, so they're in this little meadow, they have this little fire going and Piper is giving a tutorial on how to toast the perfect marshmallow. It looks so delicious. Everyone is enjoying their time and they insist that Daisy eats a toasted marshmallow and she's like, mm, do I have to? And they're like, yes, you absolutely have to. So she takes a toasted marshmallow and this is the first time we're seeing Daisy eat anything and she enjoys it. She enjoys the moment. She's just like, oh, this is actually really yummy. They look freaking delicious. They make me want to toast marshmallows every time I see this scene. Daisy is happy. She's enjoying the moment. She's eating and she's not thinking about the negative things that are going to happen if she eats. She just is, is enjoying the moment. And all of a sudden, the animals like the dogs and the birds that are around disperse and start to panic. And we see this huge gust of wind that's totally random just sweep across the countryside. And all of a sudden, we hear this distant, muted explosion. And after that noise just crashes through the meadow, it starts raining ash. So we know we are in the fallout of a devastating explosion. And you know what's interesting about this scene is nobody knows what's going on. These are kids. They have no idea what to how to interpret what just happened. They know it's serious, but they don't actually know the details of the situation. And Piper, Piper is such an amazing child. She, um, she does this thing where, you know, all of this ash is falling around them and she stands up and she's covered in ash and she starts looking at the field around her and she starts picking up handfuls of ash and she's just like, oh, it's it's snowing. And you know what's interesting about this moment is it was an emotionally triggering moment for me personally because um, in 2003, uh, Southern California was facing massive wildfires. They're actually known as the Grand Prix wildfires. The fires were just 
grazing across the mountains where my my house was. And it eventually got to the point where, you know, I was sitting outside of the house one night because, I don't know, I was a moody little child and I was upset by something my siblings said or something. So I was sitting outside of the house at night and all of a sudden this white stuff starts pouring from the sky. And I stand up because it looks quite beautiful, I must say. And I catch some in my hand and I go inside the house and I go to my mom and I'm like, look, mom, I, I, I caught some snow. And she looks at me and she's just like, um, that's that's not snow, that's ash. And so seeing Piper be affected by the seriousness of the situation, but still because she kind of sees the world through the magic of a child's eyes, interprets the ash as snow is such a crazy thing to witness because of how realistic it is and how children really do see the world in a different light despite the darkness that is constantly roaming in. Anyway, so this scary moment happens and it's unfortunate because it happens as soon as da- Daisy really starts enjoying herself. Eddie starts tells them to pack up and they're just like, okay, we have to get back home. So they get back home and um, they turn the TV on to see what's going on and we get the information from the television that a nuclear bomb has been dropped on London. And even though they're in the countryside and they're actually quite far from London, the fact that they were still witnessing the fallout of such a thing is a scary thing to experience. And, you know, after we get the information from the TV that it was a nuclear bomb, um, all the power shuts off. So the phones aren't working, the TV isn't working, and Eddie um, immediately grabs a radio to start fixing it in order to get some sort of connection to the outside world and to get any information that they need. The interesting thing about this particular scene is after we get this information and Eddie's starts trying to fix things and calm everyone down, Daisy is in full-on panic mode. She gets away from everyone. She goes up to her room. She slams the door and she just starts crying over the sink. And she looks at herself at a reflection of herself in the mirror and all of that noise that was drowned out when they were having that beautiful moment in the creek is back in full force. All of that negative noise and all of that self-derogatory statements that she's just slamming at herself and her mind just raises in volume and she looks at herself in the mirror and she is crying and she's just like, she says the line, I am a fucking curse. And we immediately start to understand the emotional psychology of this particular character. She legitimately believes that she is the cause of everything bad that is happening around her. And that's really when we are introduced to the tragedy of this particular character and we understand where she is coming from from, why she is so hostile, why she tries to be emotionally distant. It's because she legitimately believes she brings she brings bad, even though she has done absolutely nothing. It's just this this negative feeling in her head. They all go to sleep because they have to rest or whatever. And a rainstorm comes and washes all of the ashes in the countryside away, almost as if all of that bad that happened just disappears and we're suddenly re-immersed into the magical beauty of the countryside. That morning after the rainstorm, Eddie quietly wakes up Daisy and tells her to to follow him to wherever he wants to take her. And, and Daisy's pretty terrified. She she doesn't think it's smart to go out in the world. She, she She's scared of radioactivity. And Eddie is just like, look, these are the woods. Woods are home. They're always going to be safe. She does follow him eventually. And Eddie takes her to 
kind of like a cage where he has been helping to heal a hawk has a that had a broken wing when he found her. And so we learn that Eddie has been taking the time to heal this bird and make sure that she's ready for flight. So he introduces Daisy to this hawk and he says, you know, she had a broken wing. It needed a chance to heal. She's ready. Him and Daisy go to a hilltop with this bird. Eddie releases her and the hawk can fly. She's flying beautifully. And it's this magical moment where Daisy is just enthralled by seeing that this creature that was once her is now okay and is able to live in the world. The emotions of this particular scene are actually beautifully captured because what initially starts off as, you know, happiness and care for this creature eventually leads to Daisy just crying. And she finally opens up to Eddie and she's just like, you know, I'm, I'm so sorry about everything that's happened. It's all my fault. And it's because I'm a curse. You know, everywhere I go, bad shit happens. And Eddie is looking at her utterly confused and he's just like, no, what are you talking about? about it's it's better with you here and there's there's two main things that i really appreciate about this scene one of the main things is I appreciate that the writers made the hawk a she. We as audience members cannot determine the gender of a freaking bird, okay? That's simply not within our expertise. So to make that specific decision in the writing to refer to the hawk as a she is very important because we are witnessing that Eddie is able to take this animal, heal her, and make her better. It's this symbolic moment where we we see that he is able to heal this girl and make her better and make her stronger and make her able to take on the world and whatever it has to offer. It's a wonderfully symbolic moment that I really appreciate. The second thing I really appreciate about this scene is the fact that they allow Daisy to open up to Eddie and for Eddie to express genuinely that he is so glad to have Daisy around. This is the first time we're getting uh, an impression that Daisy is wanted, something that we recognize throughout the beginning of the film is not a reality that Daisy is familiar with. And it's just, it's this beautiful, emotionally cathartic moment where even with the bad that might be coming, Daisy is in a safe place. Ooh, okay. This is my next favorite scene to talk about. So we are officially in a scene that I'm going to refer to as game night. So Eddie is really trying to cheer up Piper. So we're in the living room with them and um, Eddie is playing a game of cards with Piper. Isaac is looking at maps. Daisy is sitting across from Eddie and Piper just, you know, watching them play a game. And what's interesting is Piper gets frustrated with Eddie because she thinks he's cheating. So she literally says, you're cheating. Looking into my my mind like that. So we suddenly get an insight into the fact that Piper as a child recognizes what Eddie is capable of in terms of his emotional acuity and his ability to read the minds of those around him. She says this and Daisy and Eddie kind of look at each other from across the room and there is this understanding, one, that he is most definitely able to read the minds of those around her and two, that he is specifically able to read and reciprocate uh, the desire that Daisy feels feels for him, which is, okay, I know that this is weird because we all grew up in Western society where cousins getting together is kind of taboo, but also I'm coming from a Muslim perspective, uh, from an Islamic perspective, and cousins is chill in, in, in our religion, but I'm just baffled that I uh, see this happening in a Western film just because of 
how taboo it is. So the fact that they're really hinting to sexual tension between these two characters a bit risque, but I dig it just because Eddie's and Daisy's character really are meant for each other. The kind of sexual tension of the moment of uh, just Eddie staring across at Daisy and Daisy staring back at him um, escalates to the point where Daisy is no longer comfortable in the room. She says she's going out for a breath of fresh air and she leaves the room. We're outside and Eddie joins Daisy and he takes her hand and they start to kiss. But Daisy is kind of like emotionally conflicted because on one hand she really wants this to happen and on the other hand she is concerned with the social taboo of cousins being together. So she's just like, no, we can't. Um, We're cousins. This isn't allowed to happen. And so she runs away. Eddie kind of like shouts after her. You're just like, oh, more rules, you know, just like more rules inside your head that you think you have to obey, which is interesting that he's kind of um, writing writing this off as simply that. Anyway, the scene eventually ends with uh, Daisy going back to her room, looking at a reflection of herself and kind of lightly grazing her lips. What's interesting about this moment is it's the first time we uh, see Daisy look at a reflection of herself and the scene being silent. So we're not getting that general negative barrage of thoughts that are constantly going through her head every time she looks at a reflection of herself in previous scenes. She's looking at herself as kind of like this being to be desired and her mind is at peace, which is a crazy impressive development for this character considering all of the negativity that she is used to enduring. It's almost like the desire Eddie has shown her and sparked within her has given her this feeling of being wanted and that was all she required for peace. Next scene, and this is a a super important turning point for this character. They get the news that the government slash military is evacuating the area. You have to understand, due to the explosion, the country is now under martial law and civil law has been suspended. And they're getting news that they are going to evacuate the area. And because these are children with no guardians around, that is a particularly vulnerable position to be in. And Eddie recognizes that. So he makes the decision to relocate everyone to a barn that stands on the other side of the woods that he's familiar with. And what's interesting is just before they uh, relocate to the barn, a member of the American consulate comes to visit Daisy and gives her a ticket home and some documents, allowing her to get out of England. They all relocate to the barn and Daisy helps them. The very next morning, Eddie finds Daisy outside of the barn building a fire. He's just like, what are you doing? Because Eddie is actually really, he he loves that Daisy's there, but he also loves that she has the chance to truly be safe. And Daisy, you know, she gives this beautiful monologue where she's just like, you know, I'm, I'm so scared and I want to know what it's like to be 17 or 25, you know? But what if we can get through this and there's life on the other side? If there is, I wanna be here with you. This is how I wanna live. And if all this is gone and you don't survive, then I don't want to live at all. And then she takes the ticket and the documents and she burns them in the fire that she's built. This is a crazy moment because it's the first decision Daisy makes as an active player in her own life. She's no longer simply reacting to the options that life hands her. She is 
going out of her way to make this decision and commit to being with these people, even though there is no certainty in this situation. And this is just an incredible development for this character that shifts her mindset and how she's able to go about things and how she's able to survive the circumstances that eventually come. So they relocate to the barn and they actually live just these few days where they are truly in bliss. Um, they're smart enough so they're, they're able to provide for themselves. They're able to set traps to get rabbits and they're able to collect and we're really seeing just like a, a, a perfect situation for these children who know how to survive in the countryside, have, al have already been surviving without adults for this long, can definitely do it longer. Obviously that bliss does not last forever because one morning uh, when they're all asleep in the barn, all of a sudden, the British military surrounds the barn and starts shooting into it. And we see all of these kids scrambling to make sure they're not shot and to, put, and to get themselves into a protected position. And then the soldiers barge into the barn and violently push around Piper and Isaac and Edmund and Daisy. They eventually uh, see that they shouldn't be shooting at them because they are not, in fact, enemy combatants. They they insist that, you know, martial law is in place and they shouldn't be here and they shouldn't be alone and they should be where they, where they place them. And so the army separates them. Daisy and Piper get separated from the boys and get shoved into the van. And before they do, Eddie is just fighting to to get their hands off of them. And, he's, and he tells tells Daisy, whatever happens, make your way back home, promise me. And so Daisy officially has this responsibility thrusted upon her because now, one, she has to be the protector of Piper. She has to make sure that she stays safe. And two, she has to get back. After they're officially separated and the army starts driving Daisy and Piper to what they refer to as a residential unit, we really start to see what has happened to the country. Up to this point, these kids, they've been living quite an idyllic life. They haven't been affected by what's happening to society and they haven't had any news of what's happening because the power's out, so, so they don't really know what's going on. Um, as soon as Daisy and Piper are shoved into this van with um, several other other uh, soldiers and we start going on this drive across the country we're starting to see entire fields are burned and on fire and entire herds of cattle are just strewn across the countryside and the highways are eerily empty except for these few charred and burnt and disassembled cars and trucks the further they get driven away from their country home the darker the reality becomes. Eventually, we get to the residential unit where Daisy and Piper, without any sort of paperwork, without any sort of like, it's just like a situation that they're forced to get into, which is crazy, but indicative and kind of realistic about like what, what would happen and the powerlessness that children have in circumstances of a country being at war and martial law being initiated. Uh, Daisy and Piper are dropped off with this elderly couple and they're shown a new room to stay. And, you know, they're going to get put to work in the, the farming produce unit uh, in the morning. 
Piper has been silent this entire time. Obviously, because she's a child, it's really kind of difficult to deal with the traumas that are happening to her left and right. I mean, we're talking about she was violently handled by these soldiers who were shooting at her. um, And then she was separated from her brothers whom she loves. And then she's put into a situation where she has no idea where anyone is or who anyone is except for Daisy. And Daisy, up until this point, really hasn't been the comfort that Piper needs in order to feel safe. So this is a new experience and Piper is truly traumatized. They uh, So Daisy and Piper get put into this room and Piper sits down on the bed and she starts speaking for the first time, but it's barely audible. Like she, she can barely get the words out. And eventually Daisy gets close enough to hear her ask, you know, you know, I want, I want mommy. I, how, uh, how will she find us now? And, st- and suddenly we just, we realize that Piper is is still not entirely fully grasped the reality of the situation. And she still has this hope and this belief that her mom is um, alive. So Daisy, you know, she she really is she really is wonderful in this scene because she truly takes on this role as protector and nurturer. And she goes to Piper and she um you know, embraces her. And she's just like, you know what? Your mom is going to find you because she loves you. And you don't need to worry because I'm here. This is how this new life of theirs starts. And they're put into these gray jumpsuits and they have to sort and um, they have to sort through produce and work in, in the farming units. And we just see that Daisy has this complete mind shift where she suddenly she has to be strong and she has to think smart and so she knows the promise that she made Eddie and Eddie wants her to return to the country home so she starts making preparations for that so during the daytime she's working she's not complaining she's getting everything done she's not making any trouble and then during the night she's collecting supplies she's getting a hold of maps she's getting a hold of flashlights and things that she knows she's going to need in order to survive this giant trek across country in order to get back home. And eventually, you know, the days are going in and out. And at one point, Daisy is sleeping and she gets this vision of Eddie back at the country home saying that he's home. First of all, it's this a, it's a beautiful um, scene that illustrates the incredible connection that Eddie and Daisy have. And two, it's Daisy's signal that it's time to leave because she needs to get back home to Eddie. The The next scene that is really just a, a huge part of Daisy's journey is Daisy's making final preparations. And on this last day that they're planning on working in the farming unit, Daisy finds Joe, the neighborhood kid that always hung out with them when they were back in the country cottage. And she tries to convince Joe to come with her and Piper to get back home. But Joe is so changed from everything that has happened to him. He really is quite unrecognizable from when we first met him. And this is really like one of the main tragedies when it comes to how war affects 
children. The the thing about Joe is uh, in the beginning when he's hanging out with Isaac and Piper and Eddie, we get the sense that he's not living the perfect childhood because Piper makes references to his dad being a bad man. And when they're swimming in the creek, Joe takes off his shirt and, you know, we see these giant, long, thin scars just slashed across his back. So we know that Joe is getting beaten as a child. So Joe hasn't had the best childhood, but what he did have was his dog, who was basically like his one main trusted companion besides Isaac and and Piper. And when we, when Daisy finds him again in one of the farming units, the army has taken the dog away. It's almost like, like Joe is so depressed beyond any cure. There's no hope left in this child. Like he does not see any way to climb out of the darkness. We also see that he's not fully capable of um, handling the trauma of being separated from his dog. It's amazing how this kid actor really pulls off this particular emotional scene because he's trying to explain to Daisy that he he misses the dog, but he can't get the words out. So he just, he chokes up, the words are lost and he just covers his face because he can't look at the world anymore. Daisy is not willing to give up just yet. And they all, um, they all get piled into this truck that's about to take him back to the residential unit. And she's still trying to work on Joe and convince him to go with them. But as they are driving along, they come across a checkpoint that has been compromised and enemy combatants have taken over and and are starting to shoot at the truck that's coming at them. Because of all the bullets that are being fired in their direction and they're not really prepared for this kind of violence, Joe gets shot in the head and uh, he dies. And this is really the first real shock that Daisy has to witness because she has this emotion on her face. It's like she she sees Joe's body and she almost feels like the failure of the moment. Like she failed to protect this kid you know, she had a chance at saving. And this puts her in full panic, fight or flight survival mode. So as soon as they actually get dropped off at the residential unit, we're starting to hear that the war is starting to come towards them. We're starting to hear bombs get closer and closer to their homes and shooting start to get closer and yelling start to get closer. She grabs all the supplies that she has been collecting this entire time. And she, you know, yells at Piper to get ready and they run for their lives away from them. So Daisy and Piper are officially on their long trek home. Before I reach a, a particular scene, there's just like a couple of instances that happen along the way that I would like to highlight. For example, one of the first kind of traumatic things that happens along the journey is they're walking through some woods and they come across a plane wreckage. All of these seats from the airplanes and bodies are just scattered either in the trees or along the, the the floor and you see Daisy and Piper just walk through it in shock and Piper you know she's this child she shouldn't be seeing these bodies but she handles it in such a way that it's just like she's she's an angel like she's just just walking through and and you know what what's interesting is like you know for all of the the gruesome scenes that she's seeing she hones in on a box of chocolates that she finds on the floor and the box of chocolates has has this tag on it that says from mummy she kind of just holds on to it because she's just like okay this is this is the comfort and it's just like it's such a sad moment because it's like oh my god you know thank god the child found something 
to stave off the horror of what she's witnessing. Something else that happens is, you know, when Daisy and Piper are sleeping, Daisy gets this vision of Eddie beneath several feet of dirt and roots and covered in bugs and he's screaming, help me. Now we're getting through the connection between her and Eddie that Eddie is not okay and Daisy needs to pick up the pace in order to get to him. And then of course there's this one night where, okay, this is just the craziest. So they're they're trekking through this country, but they have to be very safe in terms of not coming across any people or, or not making their presence known because this is officially a dangerous world. And one night when they're sleeping in the, the woods, Daisy wakes up because she hears some noise and some music in the distance. And she picks up her gun because she's suspicious and she starts getting closer to where the noise is coming from. And she eventually comes upon a scene where a group of men are forcing these captured women to dance and strip for them. And then some of these men are taking these uh, some of the women to the side to rape them. And Daisy is freaking terrified. She can't do anything to help these women because she has to preserve herself and she has to protect Piper. So she just slowly walks away from the scene trying to make as no noise as possible. And she wakes Piper up in the middle of the night, even though Piper is resting after just like several crazy long days of endless walking. And she tells Piper to make a run for it. So they book it and um, start running through the night to get away from that scene. But of course, that kind of, oh my God, Piper is Piper's a child. She's exhausted. She wasn't even able to get a proper sleep. So eventually that leads to Piper just begging Daisy for a break, just some time to stop. And because Piper, she's been walking so long, her feet are bleeding. She's starving. She's thirsty because they ran out of water and they can't drink any of the water that they come across because uh, it's contaminated. They're saying enemy combatants contaminated the water and she just needs some rest. And, and Daisy snaps at her. And all of a sudden we get that kind of like bits of old Daisy back because she, she just, she yells at Piper and she starts threatening to leave her to die and to go about her own way and she gives her an ultimatum, you know, choose to stay and die or, or, or just keep on going and follow me. And Piper, you know, this poor Piper, she just she's crying and she just nods her head and she just continues walking even though it hurts every fiber of her being to do so. Eventually we get to a scene where Daisy and Piper reach a river and Piper, she's so thirsty, she she forgets that the, the water could be contaminated. So she immediately goes to get a sip and Daisy smacks the water out of her hand and wipes the water away from her palms and is just like, you sh- you, you you can't do that. It's so stupid of you. You can't forget that, that it could be poison. It could have died. And then she says, you know, you you shouldn't have eaten all those chocolates either. That was stupid of you. So we eventually learned that Piper ate the chocolates that she found from the plane wreckage. And Piper is just silent for a bit. Eventually she says, you know, mommy says I'm a monster for chocolates. I just can't help myself. Maybe that's why she went away. And all of a sudden we get this impression that Piper feels like the reason why her mom isn't with her is because of her. Like she did something so awful that of course her mom would want to stay away. And this is something that I think is important to remember about children is how they are able to take situations and include them but include themselves, but in a negative way. It's kind of like the situation where, you know, a husband and wife decide to divorce and they have kids. And then one of the kids 
just genuinely believes that it's because of them that their mom and dad are getting divorced. It's just, it's, it's, it's one of the tragedies of looking into the mind of a child because they're trying to make sense of this world around them. And the only way they are able to make sense of this world is if they see the bad that they have committed because that's like that's the only thing they know they know about their own actions and they see what's happening to the world around them the way piper is seeing this world is okay her mom isn't with her the only possible reason that her mom is not with her must be that because she because she did something bad and daisy you know she's kind of shocked by this revelation she didn't realize that this is what was going through piper's head daisy she takes a moment to kind of be a healing presence presence. You know, she apologizes for yelling and she reassures her that none of this is her fault. Daisy becomes so kind and she makes Piper feel comfortable with her again to the point where Piper eventually asks Daisy about her mom. Daisy reveals that her mom died in childbirth. So Daisy Daisy never actually got to meet her mom. And all of this time that Daisy has been alive and having this information, she has been convinced that it's her fault that her mom is dead. Obviously, if Daisy wasn't alive, then her mom would be her mom would be alive and that would obviously be so much better because her mom was such a beautiful, kind, caring person. We really start to get introduced to the origins of Daisy's curse, or at least Daisy's impression that she is cursed. And what's interesting is there's this is kind of like an equalizing moment between Daisy and Piper. They turn to themselves to find fault uh, in order to make sense of the world around them. And I think that's a very interesting leap forward in Piper's journey as a character because she's slowly shedding the child that she was and is becoming a different version of herself that recognizes the darkness around her and is no longer making light of it. The next super powerful scene in this movie is when Daisy and Piper come across Gatesfield. When they were separated from Isaac and Edmund, we hear the soldiers saying that the girls are going to be taken to the residential unit and the boys are going to be taken to Gatesfield. So they come across a sign saying that Gatesfield is there and Piper convinces Daisy to go to Gatesfield, even though Daisy is convinced that the boys are already home. Daisy and Piper make their way and they come across the Gatesfield compound where the boys are supposed to be kept. And the place is eerily silent, except for like a couple of foxes that are roaming through the compound. And Daisy immediately gets a suspicious feeling about the place. So she tells Piper to wait outside as she goes to investigate the situation. She goes into the compound. She sees a whole bunch of different units and um, different places where the boys must have had their meals. And then she comes across a courtyard full of body bags and she begins to rip several of them open because she has to see if Eddie or Isaac are there. And, you know, she kind of does this thing where she, with her mind where she starts speaking to Eddie, you know, and she says, are you here? You better not be here. She's ripped through several bags and then she eventually rips a bag open and... Isaac is in one. We see the thing about that's super disturbing about the scene is, you know, she's ripping several of these bags open and we're noticing that there's certain scars and burns on these boys' bodies that are not natural. Like there's some signs of like experiments being done on them or violence being used on them. And then when you get to um, seeing Isaac, you see that there's a bullet in his head. So he was shot at point blank range. And Daisy, she immediately stops looking through the 
the other bags as soon as she finds Isaac. And it's almost like uh, this point where Daisy truly has to hold on to this hope and this belief that Eddie is still alive. And the only way she can truly do that is if she stops looking through the other bags. So she um, she takes Isaac's glasses, she puts them in her bag. And this is um, really a moment where the voices return in full force and her mind is just deafening with all of this negative noise that are that are coming from her thoughts and she she slowly walks away from the pile of bodies and she throws up and then after that she takes some time she composes herself she goes back to Piper and she tells Piper that she didn't find anything and they need to get as far far away from Gatesfield as possible so they just start running back in the direction of home and um, uh, at some point they they rest and while Piper is sleeping Daisy takes the time to get Isaac's glasses from her backpack and bury them. Kind of uh, her way of giving Isaac the only funeral she's capable of giving him at the moment. It's just this incredible scene to watch because Daisy is really pulling on every last ounce of strength in her soul, in her body, in her heart to really survive this emotional moment. And she's really just starts talking out into the universe and she's just like, you know, Eddie, if you're out there, now's the time to give me a sign because I don't know anymore. And yeah, that was just like like an incredible moment for that character. And it's super powerful to see how she deals with the emotions of such a trauma. And then later on, they're they're continuing their walk. And all of a sudden, Daisy and Piper realize that they're being followed. So they start running and we see that these two men start to pursue them. They eventually get to the point where Piper gets captured and Daisy pulls a gun on these two men who start laughing at her like they they're laughing at her because they think she's a joke and they think there's no way she's actually going to pull the trigger and Daisy is so she's so angry she's so scared she's so frustrated um she shoots one of them in the heart and he immediately drops down dead and then the other one lets go of Piper and Piper runs behind Daisy and she continues to point the gun at this other guy who's now officially begging for mercy and she shoots him in the abdomen so he's not dead but we know he's seriously injured before she shoots this guy this last time the voices in her head make a full force of return because she's so scared. She's so nervous. She doesn't know how this situation is going to turn out. She takes the shot and all of a sudden the voices are silenced and she yells at the men forever putting their 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 filthy hands on her baby cousin. And then she and Piper make a run for it. And this is the last time that we actually hear the voices go on in Daisy's head. So this was really just uh, an incredible moment of empowerment for Daisy because despite every emotion and every fiber of her being telling her to be scared and telling her to give in, she rises up to the occasion and she truly protects Piper. And that is just a major development and a major accomplishment for this particular character. And then of course we get to the end. Daisy and Piper um, find Eddie in the woods, uh, heavily bruised, heavily scarred, and really mostly unconscious and they go on this journey to heal him. So the ending is basically this montage of the war ending, the power coming back on, Daisy taking the time to nurture Eddie back to health. But Eddie is really just 
he's traumatized. He ha- he isn't speaking anymore. He can't. And Daisy is just waiting, waiting patiently for him to be better again. This is what I meant when I said in the beginning that even though there are certain traumas while watching this film, there is this sense of hope that they leave you with in the end. Yes, the world has changed and yes, they've seen some awful things and they've been through some awful things. But Daisy, along with Piper, is really going out of her way to rebuild a life that could be beautiful for them. Slowly, the country starts getting back to normal and they start, you know, hearing news from the radio again. So people in power are able to communicate the progress of the situation. The war is officially over and now it's a matter of recovery and rebuilding. And by the end, we get the sense that even though they've gone through so much, there is a chance, there is a hope to rebuild something that even though it's not truly back to normal, it's something worth living for. For me to see Daisy you know, start off as such a negative, hostile, frustrated person who doesn't enjoy anything to eventually see her in the end as this protective, nurturing, kind, strong character who goes out of her way to see the beauty and the good in any situation, regardless of how negative it is. That is just, for me, makes up one of my favorite character journeys of all time. And yeah, that is my podcast on how I live now. Uh, If you haven't seen the movie, I highly recommend, even though I've basically given everything away at this point. But yeah, thank you for listening. Um, I hope you guys are doing okay in quarantine and with social distancing and everything. I hope you guys aren't going too crazy, even though there's like meme after meme on social media illustrating just how crazy people are becoming. I hope this podcast finds you well. I hope you're taking care of yourself and uh, thank you for listening, guys. I really appreciated it. Uh, And I hope to hear your feedback. I'd love to hear what you guys want me to talk about just to alleviate some of the boredom you are facing in quarantine. This is Layers in Media, a perspective, and I am your host, Aisha Sala.